The most recent issue of House to House is now in. I don't know if it's been mailed to the local mailboxes or not, but it is another absolutely phenomenal issue. And the reason that I know that is because the overflow copies that we receive, we have now received, and in fact, there's a little pile of them on the foyer table out here. And I want to encourage you as we begin this morning that if you do not live in the 74337 zip code here in Shoto, pick one of those up. Um, they are outstanding and um, they've got a lot to offer. In fact, its front cover featured article is entitled The Peace That Jesus Offers and surely we ourselves can use more peace and know people that can use peace and those are a good thing to uh, pass along to people that are struggling and searching and reaching. So again, uh, if you do not have, uh, if you do not live in the 74337 zip code, please take a copy of those home with you. In fact, one article that I read in that publication is what served as the inspiration for this morning's sermon. The article out there is entitled, Dangerous Nations Among Us. That's not what I titled the sermon, but it's what the title of the article is that inspired this sermon this morning. The title of this morning's lesson is The Six Deadliest and Most Dangerous Nations on Earth. I want you to think about that. The Six Deadliest and Most Dangerous Nations on Earth. However, as I prepare to begin to get into that article, what I want to do is read to you just a few lines from the front page article on the piece Jesus Offers, as penned by Brother Alan Webster. Two paragraphs from Brother Webster on a different article says this. In the last 3,000 years, the world has been at peace a total of 286 years. 8% of the time. In 14,531 wars, 3,640,000,000 people have been killed. More than 8,000 treaties have been broken. Now, obviously, you understand as I read that, those are approximations. They're based on historical fact as much as we know. but give or take. What is true on the world stage is also true in individual hearts. In fact, wars in the heart produce wars in families, nations, and churches. If we can fix enough hearts, then we may fix the world. Now, as you think about that title this morning, as you consider the deadliest and most dangerous nations on earth. The one that probably will most likely come to mind first in light of the atrocities committed in Ukraine would be Russia, probably. The devastating accounts of the atrocities that have come out of there absolutely defy the mind's ability to even begin to comprehend. If you've read many of the news stories, how any human being, any human beings, could ever even consider doing such horrific things to others who are made in the image of God defies the imagination. You might think first of Russia. 
Now, if you're looking at terms, if you're looking at things in terms of sheer casualty count numbers alone, the first nation that might come to mind as far as news and all of that being the most deadly or dangerous on earth may not be Russia or China. Might be the United States of America. In terms of, in terms of the 50 plus million innocent children that have died in abortions since 1973 in this country. And when you add that to the tens of millions of American men and women and families that have suffered and been permanently wounded as a result of the casualties in that war, and when you add the media and political propaganda machine that continues to try to perpetuate or prolong America's ongoing war against the innocent unborn, maybe in that respect at least, the U.S. might come to mind. But as deadly and as dangerous as all of those nations can be in whatever terms you want to think of them, I want to suggest to you this morning that there are other nations that are far more deadly, far more, far more dangerous than all of those put together. And you think, well, who on earth could that possibly be? What could that be? But there are a group of nations that are more deadly than all of those that we've considered thus far. And the reason why, the reason why, is because the nations that we're going to talk about can not only take away your brief, momentary, earthly life, the nations that we are going to talk about can take away one's infinite, eternal, spiritual life. And that makes each one of the nations that we are going to talk about far more deadly and dangerous than all of those other nations combined. Because these nations can take away your eternal life. How is that even possible? I will just say, we're not going to do a lot of turning to a lot of different scriptures this morning, so if you're taking notes, just be, be ready, be warmed up. The first one of these six even deadlier nations we are going to discuss this morning are the abominations. The abominations, which can so, so easily pollute and pervert and spiritually rot and destroy men's souls from the inside out. Abominations. Now, when I say that word, again, in light of events going on in the world around us, perhaps the first abomination that comes to mind when we mention this term, for those of us who know the word of God, is the ongoing practice of homosexuality. And rightly so, because God said, in places like Leviticus 18, 20 through 29, and 20 and verse 13, that it is an abomination. That's what the scripture says. For those of us who know the scriptures, we also understand in a related text, that is in Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse five, 
that cross-dressing is also an abomination to God, for it says, Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5 in the American Standard Version says, quote, A woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for whosoever doeth these things is an abomination unto Jehovah thy God. Now I want to explain something. I'm just giving you what the Word of God says this morning. It's undeniable, it's there. Okay, that's what, this tech, that's what this lesson is about this morning. These abominations that can destroy one's soul. And, and while those might be some of the first abominations that come to mind, because it's everywhere today, they're not the only abominations that can steal our eternal souls. Do you know that? In fact, Leviticus 18, 20 through 29, which we mentioned earlier, Deuteronomy, uh, Leviticus 20, verses 10 through 13, and I've added one on there, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, all tell us that in addition to the practice of homosexuality, other abominations with the same soul-stealing power include adultery, child sacrifice, and by the way, that is either on the altar of Baal as it is specified in the scriptures or on the altar of convenience perhaps today but it tells us that that is an abomination it also tells us that the practice of witchcraft is an abomination before God the practice of magic or witchcraft and, and so we in the church may say well that's that's pretty easy because we we understand and we don't do those things but here's the thing there are many other abominations with those same soul-destroying eternal life taking powers that we must continually be on guard with that are a little more common perhaps to what we are familiar with for example did you know this you can write this down and look it up later. One of the abominations that we need to be very, very, very careful of is worshiping God in any way other than he commanded in his word. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 29 through 32. It is an abomination to God to worship in a way other than he has specified in his word. Now that's the term God uses. And that's gonna work in, ter in, in tandem with the, fourth with the fourth nation that we're gonna talk about. What are some other things that the scripture says that maybe we're a little more familiar with and we need to be careful of because we don't do some of the first ones I mentioned? Well, listed in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, it says this. These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven, are an abomination to him. And then he lists these abominations. A proud look. I'm better than you. I look down on you because I'm better than you. That's, that's what we're talking about, a proud look. The second abomination listed in that text is a lying tongue. We're all, we all know what that means. Hands that shed innocent blood. We kind of covered that in the abortion thing, but there are other ways to do it with all of the bloodshed that isn't needed in all of these wars. Another abomination to God in Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 is a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, then he comes back to this a second time. He says, a false witness who speaks lies. 
And the seventh one is one who sows discord amongst brethren. You think the church needs to be on guard against some of those Obama nations today? Think maybe those are some things that we should be concerned with? Proverbs goes on to confirm this list of eternally deadly abominations in several other texts. It confirms the list. Not only does he give them to us in Proverbs. You know, we look at that Proverbs 6 passage quite often, but, but Proverbs confirms these same things in other places. For example, in Proverbs 3 and verse 32, it tells you that an abomination to God is a perverse person. One with lying lips, chapter tw Proverbs 12, 22. Another abomination to God is the way of the wicked, Proverbs 15, 9. Those proud in heart, Proverbs 16, 5. And those who condemn the righteous while justifying the way of the wicked, verses 17 through 15. Those are all abominations to God, according to God's word that can steal your God-given eternal soul. And if you think you can handle, I, I feel like I should hold up one of those M for mature audience things. If you think you can handle everything God said that he was going to do to those who did not guard their lives against these very sorts of abominations, then I encourage you to go home and read Ezekiel chapters 5 through 8 wherein the word abomination or abominations occurs 14 times in four chapters. 14 times in four chapters in one version. Or you can simply read about the devastating, unimaginable loss of eternal life that such abominations will cost those who cause such things, let alone practice them, by reading Revelation chapter 21 and verse 27. But that's only the first of the deadliest nations on earth today, deadliest because they can take not only your earthly life but your eternal life. The second of these five nations is Contama nations. Brother Beard in that House to House article wrote this. Many Christians are eternally ruined by contamination. They fall prey to worldliness, immorality, drinking, dancing, cursing, and gambling, for instance. They become spotted by the world, James 1 and verse 27. Listen, every day, every day, Sundays aren't even excluded. Every day, in every way, through any and every means possible, whether it's through worldly events, worldly entertainment, worldly occupation, even to worldly friends and family and neighbors and classmates and co-workers, through them all, all the time, Satan strives continuously, desperately, relentlessly, to delude and deceive and convince us that it is okay to be contaminated by the world. If you don't think so, next time you ride into Tulsa, take a look at that big sign that they put in right there in front of Hard Rock. Don't know how many accidents are gonna be caused at night because of that beacon shining beside the highway. I don't know how tall that thing is, but that big glass of whatever it is they're pouring looks like wine that they're pouring. 
how beautiful they make it look and shining, how tempting and beautiful sin looks. Everything in Satan's power to tempt you to do this. And, and we know, we know what Proverbs 23, 29 through 35 says about not drinking. We know it. But boy, it sure looks pretty on that sign. Everything on that sign looks pretty. It, it, it's trying to draw you into that whole, that whole gambling, that whole drinking, that whole reveling. And we say, well, what's the matter with that? Well, the, the problem with that is, is that Satan is trying to convince us and draw us in to convince us that it's okay to be contaminated by such worldly lusts of the flesh as adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. We say, well, I'm not sorcerer. Sor hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. And we say, well, we're not murderers. Next word, drunkenness. Next word, revelries. Next three words, and the like, everything like that. Paul's list is not exclusive. Otherwise, our Bibles would have an infinite length. He said these and things like these. Satan tries through commercials. You can't turn on the internet or the TV or the radio, and Satan is trying to convince you that it's okay in some form or fashion to be contaminated by the world. And why do I say that I know that, that Th those can steal your soul. Here's how I know, because in that very text right there, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, the rest of it says, after it says envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, Paul says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Could he made it any plainer? If you were going to say that as plain as you could, how would you have said it? You know how I'd have said it? Just like he said it. He said, you're not going to. I told you before, and I'm telling you again. It's not going to happen. You're not going to enter heaven if you continue to practice those things and be contaminated by the world. God made it clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, and verse 1 as well, saying in the last two verses of that reading, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7 and verse 1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We cannot allow contamination to make gains and advances on our souls and to win the war for our souls. Those nations are more deadly than any earthly nation that can simply take your earthly life. Number three, the reason this one is so deadly is because of how it leads to this next one, or can. And that is termination. I want to read to you Brother Beard's statements in House to House again and talk about terminations. He said, 
It may be that one becomes unhappy or upset with something in the local church, such as family problems, disagreements among brethren, or hurting someone's feelings. What happens? They terminate. They give up church responsibilities, stop contributing, and quit attending. In the end, they become entangled and overcome by the defilements of the world. I want you to open your Bibles to that passage. I want you to notice a couple things. Open your Bible to that passage, 2 Peter 2, 20-22. Would you please? 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20-22. through I want you to see a couple of things here. I know it's listed up there as, as 20, but I'm going to start back at 18 because it has to do with how, how this all kind of pushes us in that direction. Verse 18, he said, For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh. And I can't not help but think of that sign again, okay? I'm just saying. Allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, listen, sin tries to convince you that, yeah, if you want to be free and you want to be free from all the rules and free from all the restrictions, then come and enjoy sin. Folks, i got to tell you something. When you do that, the rules of sin still apply. It's going to eat you up. You can't get away from those rules. So many people think, well, God tells you not to do this and not do that, and you need to be free, and you need to have fun, and you need to, all these things. Listen, if you do those things, the reason God told you no is the same reason that some of us as parents and grandparents have taught our kids not to put their hands on a hot stove, because it's going to hurt them. You can't, you cannot put your hand on a stove that is burning red without it hurting. So we tell our kids not to do that. That's a rule you can't break. If you put your hand on it, it's going to hurt. And if you are going to go off and indulge in these things that, that they promise you liberty and how, how, how wonderful you feel and you can be free to live however you want and do whatever you want, all it's going to do is force you to be burned by the rules you can't reverse when it comes to sin. I continue. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, and here we go, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is, somebody's become a Christian, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginnings. Think about that for just a minute. If you don't become a Christian, if you're not washed in the blood, then your eternity is not going to be in heaven. But he said it's going to be even worse if you become a Christian and then you let all of these, these things carry you away to terminate your relationship with God, to, to suffer this, this termination. For it would have been better for them, verse 21, not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it's happened to them. According to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. It would have been better for them never to have come to Christ, to have suffered eternal condemnation and hellfire, than to come and to go back. That's what the scripture says. Now, I don't know how that all works, but I do know what it all says. Also notice in verse 20, it says, entangled in them and overcome. Brethren, hear me really loud and clear. Entangled in them and overcome. I don't believe for one second 
that any Christian, any Christian, ever intends to fall into this category. A Christian, I don't believe, ever goes out and says, you know what, I want to go to hell, so I'm going to do this. I don't believe they ever intentionally just say, that's what I'm going to do. See, this doesn't happen overnight. When he says, when they are overcome and entangled, it's a slow process. It's a process. It's a process. You slowly get entangled in them, and eventually you get in so deep that you are overcome. Suddenly, you're in so far over your head. But it is a process. It takes time. That's what we've got to understand. It's just like Hebrews 2 and verse 1 says, we must pay more careful attention to the things we have heard so that we do not drift away. Doesn't say run away, doesn't say motorboat away, it says drift away. And, and the illustration that always comes to mind for me is, you know, boat on the beach, you know, and, and somebody just climbs in there to take a nap and the boat's sitting there on the sand and everything's fine and they don't realize tide's coming in, they wake up, they're out in the middle with no oars and shark infested water. They drifted away slowly, it was just comfortable and they were just comfortable and asleep on the sand and you know, the, the water's kind of in the boat on the sand, the water's kind of rocking them, it's kind of rocking them and they just kind of slowly drift and it's so comfortable, they don't realize how far they're getting away from the shore, they don't realize how far into danger they're getting and then one day when they finally wake up, they're lost. It takes time. But that is how they suffer termination. Oh, by the way, do you know what the opposite of termination is? Determination. That's how you cure it. Determination. Be determined that that is not going to happen to me and I'm not going to fall asleep. Determination is the opposite of termination. The fourth of the six deadliest and most dangerous nations on earth today that we're going to discuss, we're only going to discuss it very briefly because we're going to be starting a new Sunday morning Bible class on it next Sunday morning. This one is probably one of the most dangerous in terms of sheer number, in terms of sheer casualty counts and numbers. This is probably certainly one of the biggest ones and that is man-made Denama nations. How many people do we know who've been taken captive by the teachings of man-made denominations and think they're just fine? Jesus only promised to build one church, Matthew 16 and verse 18. Jesus prayed that his disciples would be one even as he and his father were one, John 17, 20 through 22. Jesus made clear through the divinely inspired pen of the Apostle Paul that there was only one body which is his church and only one faith which was delivered before the end of the first century. That is right in Ephesians 1, 22 and 3, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and Jude 23. It's right in the word of God. That's why I put that up there and give it to you. Jesus also made clear through the pen of Paul, the divinely inspired pen of the Apostle Paul, that his church was not to be divided or denominated. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. God also made it clear, this is not a judgment call, this is not offered with any animosity, this is just simple black and white biblical fact, brethren. God said he therefore would outright 
reject the worship of any religious group that rejected or compromised or contradicted his commandments. And as in Matthew 15, 1 through 14, and Mark 7, 5 through 13, amongst other places. How many souls do you think will lose their eternal lives to the likes of unbiblical, non-biblical, and even anti-biblical, man-made, dendama nations on Judgment Day? The fifth of the six deadliest and most dangerous nations we're going to take a look at this morning is one that doesn't seem like all that much of a big deal on the surface. It really doesn't. It doesn't seem dangerous at all. Procrastination. It doesn't seem to be all that big of a deal. But you see, that's part of its allure. That's part of its deadly danger. It looks pretty harmless. You know, an animal can look pretty harmless or a poison ivy plant can look pretty harmless if you don't know what it can do. But if you're like me and go within 10 feet of it, you'll probably, it'll get on you. Looks pretty harmless, it's just a green leaf. Yeah, well, you get into it. It'll show you just how dangerous it can be. And, and procrastination is, is sort of like that. As Brother Beard wrote regarding this nation, this deadly, deceptive nation. One may convince himself that he means well and will do better someday while completely, completely dominated by this nation. We see this in scripture. We see it with Felix in Acts chapter 24, verses 24 through 26, who kept procrastinating when it came to listening to Paul because he wanted to become a Christian. He listened to him for other reasons, selfish reasons. Course of a couple of years, he listened to Paul, but he procrastinated in obeying what Paul was saying. Of course, we know about King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, verses 27 through 32 who also procrastinated. He said, almost you persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. As far as we know, neither one of them ever did. And if they didn't, then their sins were not covered when they left this earth. They're going to have to face God with their sins. One sin is enough to send a person to hell. You know, we look back at that 2,000 years and say, okay, Felix and King Agrippa, okay. But brethren, we don't have to look that far back. We, we really don't. Every Sunday, every Sunday, in assemblies all across our nation, all across our nation, all across the world, there are both young people and older folks alike who sit in our assemblies and know that they need to obey the gospel and become a New Testament Christian. They know it. They know because they hear in sermons how Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and, and they believe he is. And, and they come to look at all the examples. We have, we have thousands of people converted to Christ in the book of Acts. Thousands, sometimes several thousand times, sometimes one at a time, sometimes a family unit. Sometimes, but they, but they all do the same thing. 
And, and people see that and they can see what the scripture says and they know that they need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and they, they understand that. The preacher says, come and, as we stand and sing. And they stand and they sing and they don't move. They procrastinate. Well, maybe this, maybe that. There was a car crash within an hour's ride of here in the past couple of weeks. Five teenagers left school and went to lunch. Rolled the car on a curve. Three teenagers in the back seat were crushed by a tree. None of us are promised tomorrow. There are people that know, but still they allow themselves and their eternal lives and souls to just hang in the balance between heaven and hell by the deadly forces of procrastination. What a deadly nation. And, and it's, not just listed to, it's not just limited to obeying the gospel. Listen, there's people young and old sitting in our assemblies every Sunday. And they know that there's something they need to do to be made right with God. Now, they've already obeyed the gospel. But they know that there's this thing that they've got to do. There's something that they've got to stop doing. There's this, this, this sin they've got to give up in order not to fall to contamination, not to engage in abomination. Maybe it's just simply something like, like making amends with somebody or reaching out to somebody that, that they've heard. they know they need to do it. There's a, there's a hundred things that people procrastinate about, and I wonder how many eternal lives have been needlessly squandered by not doing what they know needs to be done. All of those nations that we have talked about so far that are out to kill and destroy us eternally to, to, to take our eternal lives, not just our earthly lives, and we've covered five of them. All of them are designed to take us back to the final one nation, the final destination, and that is of eternal condemnation. Brother Beard said, one day all will stand before God in judgment to receive eternal victory over these dangerous nations or to be condemned because of them. Now, it's taken a while to get here, but here comes the good news. I'm gonna to totally switch gears and yet not switch gears at all. Do you know what the greatest, most awesome, most unbelievable, incredible, almost inconceivable God-given gift and blessing of all is? Do you know, do you know what the most incredible, the best news that you can ever imagine, the, the, the best thing that you could ever think could possibly happen? This goes way beyond that because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or imagine, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. The, the, the greatest news that you will ever hear, brethren, is this. No matter which of these soul-stealing abominations you may have been involved with, which we mentioned at the beginning, no matter which sinful worldly contaminations you may even right this moment be or have been enslaved to, no matter which one of those temporary terminations you've been tricked into trying, and I call them temporary because you got a chance to turn them around, 
And no matter which man-made denomination you may have been deceived into believing was genuinely biblical. Listen, here's the great news. If you have come to understand the incredible, overwhelming strength of all of those nations that are aligned against you, and you have come to understand that you have absolutely no chance of beating them all by yourself. Nobody does. And you realize it. And you've come to that point where with the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, 24, you cry out and say, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me? from this body of death. You've come to that point where you realize you can't beat those nations. All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has been contaminated. People have, have gone through the, all of those things. There's only one man that ever walked this planet that was able to beat all of those nations, and that's Jesus Christ. He never sinned, the Bible tells us. Tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That's why he's such a fitting high priest. But everybody else, that has reached accountable age has fallen victim to some of those nations. But the beautiful news is this, if you understand that this morning and you understand to the Apostle Paul that you are wretched, that you, you're wondering who will deliver you because you've been victimized by those nations, then I want you to hear this. I want you to hear the greatest news that you will ever hear. I want you to hear the Apostle Paul's answer to his own question just a few verses later. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, where he says, There is therefore now no, no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? If you fall and pray to those other nations, isn't that awesome? There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. None. Tell you what, I think if I hadn't been a Christian and I come to the understanding of some of these things, my very next question this morning would be, how on earth do I get into Christ? How do I get into Christ? I want to be where abominations can't beat me, Terminations can't trick me. None of these things can get to me. I don't want to be condemned. They're all trying to condemn me. Satan's trying every day with everything he's got to get me to contaminate my soul, to terminate my relationship with God, to commit abomination. This is what Satan is trying with all he's got. If there's an escape route, show me, Paul says. There's no condemnation for those who are in, man, that's where I want to be. If you tell me I got to walk out here on 412 and play in traffic, in order to get it, I'm headed. But it's not that difficult. How do we get into Christ? Two times in the New Testament it tells us how to get into Christ. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Some people say, oh, I thought we were saved by faith. We are. Faith is trusting God. Do you trust what he said? That's faith. Well, I thought we were saved by grace. Well, we are. Because if you think getting in a tub of water and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins that you somehow earned salvation because you're willing to get in a tank of water, you're not listening. That's grace. God's willing to save you if you're willing to accept grace on his terms. The other text in the New Testament, there's only two that tell us how to get into Christ Jesus where there is no condemnation. It is this one. <clears throat> Galatians 3. 
26 and 7, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. As many of you were baptized into Christ to put on Christ. <clears throat> Look it up in your Bible. Do not trust me. Look it up. It's the only two places. So, here's the deal. If this morning you truly want no condemnation. You, you don't want to go where all of those things will try to lead you, where Satan will unleash everything in his ar arsenal to get you to fall prey to one of those nations, where those nations are, are set up to destroy you eternally and take your eternal life. If you don't want to be there, the only nation that you have got to face down and overcome right now, right this minute, this next two minutes, three minutes, the only nation you have got to overcome right now is procrastination. If you know what you got to do to get into Christ, don't procrastinate. I'll guarantee you something else. I will guarantee you that you don't even have to face procrastination alone. I'll tell you what, this morning, if you step into that middle aisle and I see you coming down here, I'll walk right up there and I'll take your hand and I'll welcome down together. We'll, we'll walk through that nation of procrastination just the way the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with the help of the Lord God Almighty walk through that fire. You step out in that aisle, I will come take your hand. We will walk together that fire of procrastination and it doesn't just need to be to be baptized if there's something between you and God if there's a nation that has crushed you or taken you captive and you've got to get it right this morning so that there is no condemnation for you so that it doesn't lead you any further down that path to lose your life we are going to sing a song and we're going to sing it right now and I'm going to move this the very first thing because I'm telling you right now you don't have to go through this alone amen church if you have that need, don't procrastinate. Come right now as we stand and sing.